Good morning, I'm Pastor Ed. Uh, we are in a series, I introduced it last week, of messages, three Sundays we're taking, uh, because we find ourselves in very unique times. Not because of the pandemic, that's certainly unique in itself, but other issues that have created a conflict where some have found fault, found fault and have made allegations regarding the elders, Derek and me, and perhaps other staff members. With the reconciliation effort hampered, some have found fault uh, with the process. Derek, as you know, is on a respite time. And now we heard this morning a recommendation coming uh, next Sunday. I decided uh, well before some of these events converged that we needed to be challenged from God's word in these unique circumstances. So last Sunday, you'll remember, Troy started us out on the three-Sunday adventure that we called Cutting to the Heart, because Troy's text took us uh, to many places in Scripture, but one that was foundation was Acts chapter 2, where the early church, where some, as they became aware that this Jesus Christ, whom they crucified, was indeed the Messiah, the promised one, uh, they came to believe that. The scripture tells us in Acts 2, they were cut to the heart. So in other words, the more they understood the identity and the nature of Jesus Christ, allowing it to seep into their mind and go to their heart, God was using that to reveal something. And so they were overwhelmed. Then they said, well, what should we do? And the response was, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Difficult circumstances, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's conflict, poor health, loss of jobs, these are all instruments that God can use to cut to the heart. One author said it this way, hard things are going to shape us in ways that easy things can't. So as I was thinking of this uh, whole time with Pastor Derek on respite, and particularly this Sunday with this theme, uh, I knew I wanted Bruce Martin. Uh, Bruce Martin is our Evangelical Free Church Pacific Northwest District Superintendent. Uh, but not only did I want him because of that role that he has nationally and for us as a overseer of... Uh, other churches in the Oregon, Western Washington, and Alaska district. But I have been quickened. I have been sharpened a result of his ministry when I sat and we interacted together. So let's welcome uh, Bruce Martin. Thank you, Bruce. Are we supposed to do that? Can, 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 I, can, can I do one little trivia thing before? I, I don't know if you remember, back in 1989, it's on my calendar, I was in here going through my ordination council, and there was this guy I'd never met named Bruce Martin. And uh, uh, you remember that here in this room? Are you asking for some sort of apology? I mean, what are you, what are you doing? I'm saying, 
here we are again about 32 oh, years later. Okay. God bless you. What's happened, Ed, over the years? Where did it all go? Faith Church, as Matt said, in person and online, it's, it's good to be with you. Truly it is. And uh, I have been praying for you endlessly. Uh, my district board has been on their knees over you. Uh, there are many, 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 many pastors and leaders in this district who are praying as well. Uh, I've been doing this role for about, uh, I'm going to say, 15 to 16 years. And in that period of time, I've found myself with the responsibility and challenge and burden of leading through 17 church crises. The storyline is always different. But the realities of what has happened are all the same. I stand before you this morning not as a professional, but as a man who has learned largely through the school of hard knocks. what it is to find faithfulness in my journey, first of all, as a man, and then also with the roles that our Father has entrusted to me. My center point in doing whatever I do, whether I'm encouraging a pastor who's lost his heart, whether I'm installing a brand new pastor transitionally, like I'll be doing a few weeks with our church up in Puyallup, whether I'm sitting with a leadership team and helping to provoke, provoke some, some development around meaningful spirituality or whether I'm working with a church in crisis, I try to keep one thing in front of me all the time, folks. And it's this. I want to proclaim a faith that is a way of life and not simply a way to believe. I, sometimes when we're talking about space, it, it gets kind of subjective, this, this thing of faith and what constitutes faith and what constitutes real life. And, and, and it doesn't have to be that subjective. In fact, I, I try to bring this thing down to just uh, very, very clear objectivity in terms of what the goal of my Father's work in my life and in your life is from Matthew 22 in which Jesus says the, the goal of this whole thing called God's revelation to you, every bit of it, is fulfilled in the life of a person, a man, a woman, who loves God with all his heart and soul and mind and loves her neighbor as herself. Right? These are not Sunday school answers or expressions. According to Jesus, this is the whole business. And so I say to you with humility, but also straightforwardly, if your journey in your spiritual development has not brought you to a place 
where you love God with your heart and soul and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself, then one of two things is true. It could be that your sources are faulty. But if your sources are reliable, then by Jesus' own words, we're misusing them. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like an awful lot of Scripture, it's not hard to understand what James is saying. In fact, if he was here this morning, I could march my three-year-old grandson up on the stage next to me. A few weeks ago, I was with him, and I came into the living room, and he was physically standing over his older sister, And this little guy, he's three years old, but he looks like he's five already. He's just a brute. And he's standing over his sister like this, and she is writhing on the ground, and she is crying, and she is holding her elbow. And I'm going like, what has happened here? And he looks at me just stoically. Absolutely no answer. And she's lying on the ground, and she's drawing. And I said, I can't understand you, honey. What's... And I turned to her brother again, and I said, what, what happened here? And he just looked at me with this, like, I wanted the blanket. There was not a hint of sorrow in him. No one had to teach him. No one has to teach us. Before we have a memory, we have learned how to maneuver in this world. We know how to throw elbows to get what we want. We know how to say 
the things that will get us the end game. We know how to act threatening. We know. We know. And everyone who is hearing my words this morning, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online, you can recall times when somebody did something or said something to you that was hurtful, that was unnecessarily forceful, that was spoken not out of the love of, 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 of God, not out of His love in us, but out of this sense of the love of power. And, if you can hear my voice this morning, you know there have been times when you have done that to someone else. Where you have said more than you should have said. You exerted more forcefulness than you should have exerted. You hurt somebody to get what you wanted, and even when you became aware of that and you offered an apology, when you apologized, it also became clear to you that some of the damage that you have inflicted is going to linger. It's not rocket science, folks. You don't have to be a churchgoer. You don't even have to be familiar with the Word of God to see what James is saying. We see it, and we see it, and we see it. In this world that operates on the bandwidth of the love of power, everywhere we look in this culture, business, communities, endeavors, it's like the powerful are the ones who take the high ground. The powerful are the ones who gain the advantage. There's nothing here. That is odd to us, that like, oh, I don't understand this, Bruce. What are you saying, that that's the source of quarrels? There's only one thing in here that maybe needs a little explanation, and that's in verse 5, where this, this phrase is, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live on us envies intensely? And I would say even in this, that different people have different understandings of that word and what, what James is saying but at the end of the day, I don't think they mean anything different. Some people say, well, what that says is that, that God created you and me with a hunger in us. A hunger that's not casual. It's an intense hunger for meaning, for purpose. And we will look long and hard, and we will pursue a lot, and we will overturn a lot of people and people's lives to get what we think will give us meaning. This is not a casual endeavor. Some people say that what, what James is saying is that God has placed His Spirit in us. And His Spirit is jealous for our well-being. Not in a casual way. Intensely jealous. He desires me to find the life that is really the life. He desires me to avoid an empty and meaningless and painful journey. He wants me to find abundance and fullness of life now. No matter how you read that, the phrase that follows it is everything. He gives more grace. 
When I say grace, I'm not talking about God taking his eraser to the white port of my sin. When I say grace in the context of what I'm talking about this morning, I'm talking about the unique, supernatural empowerment of God where he meets me as a human being with serious struggles in this area. And as I invite him, as I allow him, he changes me. Supernatural. I have no hope that my words are going to affect any change. It has to be the power of God through his spirit in willing hearts. James is just simply put into words what all of us already understand. It's helpful for me when I think of the language that James uses to take that word desire and think about it in terms of agenda. Any of you who is married has wrestled with the temptation to try to make your spouse into the perfect partner for yourself. Well, I can say I'm, I'm guilty of that, even if the rest of you have taken a high road. I, I was sitting with a, a group of people a couple, three weeks ago, and, and one woman who's like 50 years old, 52 years old, this conversation came up, and man, she said, if my husband dies, I'm not going to go around this mountain again. And I'm going like, well, he's sitting right next to you, right? I mean, did you notice that? And, and, and she goes on, and she said, it's taken me 35 years to train this one. And I'm just going like, Gee, even if you're thinking that, don't say it out loud, right? <laughs> we know full well what it is to have an agenda. We set our eye on something that we think, not casually. Believe me, and it's never casual. We know it will make us happy. We know it will correct what's wrong. We know and it's that agenda, James says, that creates this domino effect of pain that ripples throughout the human experience. And I know, I know, I know that every one of you has stories to tell about our failure in this. This is a battleground, folks. This is a dangerous place. When, when we talk about the agenda that we have and we couple it to the escalating internal pressure we feel to make that agenda happen. This is what James is talking about. And I want to say this as clearly as I possibly can there is no circumstance, regardless of the circumstance, 
There is no such thing as an agenda that is worth pursuing even in the name of Jesus. If in order to accomplish that agenda, we've got to abandon the way of Jesus. This is where we get into trouble, folks. Regardless of the circumstance, in your marriage, in your relationship with little children or grown children, in marketplace endeavors, in the community of faith, there is no agenda that we might pursue in the name of Jesus by which it becomes necessary that we abandon the way of Jesus. Let's do business on this level here this morning. I want to talk with you about my own journey. Uh, I'm not talking with you about my own journey in wrestling with this stuff as prescriptive for you. I'm not saying do the things that I did, use the tools that I'm going to share with you, because I know with absolute confidence that God will work with you if you ask Him. And I don't want you to get into a tunnel vision thing of saying, well, this is how it worked in Bruce's life, so this has got to be how it works in my life. That is not a good assumption. So I'm sharing with you descriptively where this battle took place in my life and what was at stake and how I found my way through it. And I do so uh, wishing I didn't have to. What are we supposed to do when we're carrying these feelings of certainty about the way things ought to be and we're experiencing increasingly that the outcome that we know has to happen is being blocked or somebody's being uncooperative or God forbid they're arguing with us. What are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do? I'm not talking about a casual decision about Shall we go to the Mexican restaurants or shall we go to the barbecue? I'm talking about stuff upon which we hang our well-being. It, it cuts deep into us. That's what I'm talking about. What are we to do in those moments? In those sometimes long seasons of life where we we can't rest. We go to bed and we try to sleep and we can't unlock the thoughts. We can't forget of what that person did to us. We, we, we are confused about why God has abandoned us in things that are legitimate. We're not asking for wrong things. We're just wanting things to be right. Where are you, God? It sometimes affects our health. It affects our appetite. This is the level 
where many of you have been wrestling. This is the level where many of your peers are wrestling. The first thing that I want to say to you, when you are feeling that, when you are feeling that forcefulness coming up within you, take the opportunity to soothe yourself. Take responsibility for the powerful feelings that are rising up inside of you. Here's what we do instead. We're pretty sure if we can affix blame on somebody for what we're feeling, that it'll be all right. That everything will change. That the world will be a happy place again. And when we find that that work is difficult, then what we do is we recruit others to our cause. Those who are willing. And we meet people who are like, having a good day, and by the time they're done talking to us, they're red-faced and stammering. They can't believe what's happening to me. And I walk away feeling like, well, at least there's some intelligence left on the planet. I grew up in a home with a dad who didn't know how to soothe himself who didn't know how to take responsibility for his feelings. And you know what they say about kids, and, and, and it's, it's true, I think, and it's sadly true. Kids are, are great observers, but lousy interpreters. They experience what's going on, they attach meaning to it, but it may not be accurate meaning. And I noticed my dad was well-received in the business community in the town where we were growing up. And I noticed in our church family, my dad was well-received. In fact, my dad was chairman of the board of the church for over 20 years. But I knew within the four walls of our home, it was a different story. Why did I feel tightness in my gut when I heard my dad drive home at the end of the day and I heard the door slam in the car? Why, why when I had problems or questions or, or just wanted to say something to him that I find myself increasingly just walking away in silence? Because on so many occasions, I had felt the abruptness of his forcefulness because he'd had another bad day. My dad, through some terribly difficult circumstances later in his life, began to come to grips with his need to take responsibilities for his feelings. But by then, I was grown up. I had taken a job. I had gotten married. We began to have children. And you know, the stress of life keeps amping up, amping up, amping up. And my wife would come to me at various times and she'd say, what's going on? I'm kind of, 
kind of barked at me and kind of barked at the kid. What, what's going on? And instead of hearing her, I would take her to task on the words that she chose to use. And I would become quite defensive with her. And there was a point in time when it kind of dawned on me, folks, it really did. I guess this is what it means to be a man. Sometimes you've got to exercise firmness and resolve in the face of life challenges. In my mid-40s, I reached a point where those patterns didn't work anymore. My wife and I had landed in Eugene, Oregon. We didn't know a soul there. We planted a church. It was a lot of fun, and it was hard work. We were reaching a lot of people who were far from God. It was, it was, it was glorious and gut-wrenching all at the same time. It was just, but it was the best thing. And in one season where the the world kind of closed in on me, I recognize it now as my father's way. Uh, The church was in disarray. My marriage of 21 years was hanging by the thinnest of, of threads. There were people all across the community of Eugene who were angry as could be with me. Saying things that was like, are you kidding me? Aren't you the one that I went to your home and sat with you when your adopted daughter had run away and prayed with you and wept with you? And now you're characterizing me like this. It was a season of my life where I quickly began to understand I had no more cards to play. I had tried everything I could to have a happy and meaningful marriage. I had done everything I could to plant a church that would flourish. The people with whom I thought I had friendships had turned on me like Left and right, man, it was just like so confusing. And it was so necessary. Because in that season, in my mid-40s, is when I finally began to understand some things. There is no circumstance that justifies the pursuit of an agenda if the pursuit of that agenda means that you have to abandon the way of Jesus. None. But my problem is, I didn't know how to get there. Life doesn't give you the luxury of stopping. Oh, hey Bruce, let's just take a time out. Everybody sit down and be quiet while Bruce figures out life. Life keeps rushing on. Life keeps happening. Right? 
which makes it really difficult to go through the confusing deconstruct of all you've ever known in order that you can begin to rebuild according to what is right and good and valuable and meaningful. One of the, the, the pieces of this that our Father gave me was, was Reinhold Niebuhr's serenity prayer. Man, I'm, my name is Bruce, and I'm in recovery. I will be in recovery for the rest of my life. I know what I'm capable of. I know what my capacities are. When I read this prayer in its entirety, it just reduced me to tears. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Living a day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting you, Father, to make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I might be reasonably happy in this life but supremely happy with you forever in the next. That prayer continues to encapsulate the spirituality that Jesus invites me to better than any arrangement of words I know. As I've peered into that, as I've aligned my life with it, as I've pursued it, as I've repented of not doing it, I've found an increasing measure of fullness of life. Listen, the passing of time does not address what I'm talking about. It doesn't get better. You and I know 60 and 70 and maybe 80-year-olds who are as demanding and full of agenda and full of vitriol as anybody we can imagine. Until you do battle on this battlefield, you remain saddled with confidence that if you throw elbows appropriately, you'll get your way. Like my three-year-old grandson. Learn to soothe yourself. I'm almost embarrassed to have to say that out loud. But in the 17 of these things that I've done, it's become increasingly apparent to me that a lot of us are missing out on that one. Number two, release your agenda. If you are doing the careful work of soothing yourself, of taking responsibility for your feelings, then you will find that there is something of fear that is driving your responsiveness. 
James calls it desire. I use the word agenda. But that is just the symptom, folks. The real issue is a deep, deep fear that's resident in you. That's driving you to act consistently in ways of desperation. And until you put your finger on that fear, you're imprisoned by it. For me, it became apparent that my worth to myself and the worth that I thought I would be to others and the worth that I was to my father was because I was such a stellar human being. And something happened in that moment of my life, that season in which God got to work in me. Like, when you ask the question, God, do you love me? When you're the guy that's knocking the ball out of the park, and you're the guy that's getting the applause, and people are going like, yeah, like Bruce. Then you nod confidently, yes, God, you love me. But when you're the guy whose resume is in a pile of ashes in the corner, where around you the things that you have held dear and valued have all turned to nothing, and the common thread of it all is you, then it's with a fair amount of trepidation that you ask the question, God, do you love me? I got nothing. I've got less than nothing. I have messed up my life. When you ask that question, I know the answer that you're going to get. The problem is, we got to ask the question in the context of our brokenness and pain. Otherwise, we continue to get the wrong reading. So God gave me a word. In fact, I was cruising through Ephesians. And the Spirit of Christ just, just said, time out, Bruce, stop. Stop. In Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, for this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family on heaven and on earth derives its notion of fatherhood. And I pray that out of His glorious riches, in His Spirit, He will strengthen you in your inner man so that Christ might dwell in your heart by faith. And I pray that you, having been rooted and established in what? In love. Might be strong enough, together with all the saints, to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God. To know this love that is unknowable to be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can ask or imagine. Everything beyond the craziest agenda you carry. To Him be glory. To Him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus and through all generations forever and ever. Amen.
Those two things, a serenity prayer, Ephesians 3.14, over the course of years, have provided the North Star to my life. They've added clarity to this sense of like, what does it mean to be Jesus people on this planet? What does it mean to exist in this culture, in communities where the love of power is the defining thing, and you're feeling the vulnerability of the power of love, and and you're going like, I don't know how to do this. And my motivation, I wish it were noble, folks, but my motivation is I know what I'm capable of. And I'm not going there anymore. Take responsibility for your own failures, your own feelings. You're never too old to learn this thing. The world doesn't owe you the work of carrying your difficult feelings. Your spouse does not owe you the burden of carrying your difficult feelings. Your community faith does not owe you the burden of carrying your difficult feelings. They will pray for you. They will comfort you. But if they're wise, they won't slip their shoulder underneath of it. And they won't validate you as you holler about how the world is treating you unfairly. Because if they're wise, they know this is a sacred season. C.S. Lewis, in his work on joy, surprised by joy, says that pain is God's megaphone by which he gains our attention. Do you remember Troy's dark confession last week that as a physical therapist his first work is to recreate the pain do you remember that that caught me of course that's the way of our father don't get in the way of that Take responsibility for your feelings. Release your agenda. And entrust yourself to Father. I think about it like a trapeze bar, right? Where you've got your agenda. You're swinging happily on it. You can't let go of that agenda. You're terrified to do that. Because stuff might happen in your life that's different than the way you think it ought to happen until it becomes too painful to hold on to the agenda. And then for the first time in your life, you're able to entrust yourself to God. Soren Kierkegaard said this, until a person finds himself or herself in a free fall, with no one or nothing to catch them save the supernatural presence of God, then he or she has never met God. When I have an agenda, instead of saying to Father, I love you with all my heart and soul and mind, I say that to my agenda. 
when God says, trust me and let go of your agenda, I grip tight and I say, I'd rather not. And I'm not usually this way, but I'm going to throw a few elbows because I have to. Right? This is a dream that you placed on my heart, God. And you say that I should pursue the dream. There is no circumstance where in the pursuit of an agenda you are justified in abandoning the way of Jesus. Okay? Take responsibility for your feelings. As you understand the thing that's driving your dark behavior, the fear, don't run away from the fear. Don't deny it. Don't pretend. Acknowledge it. Lay down your agenda and entrust yourself to the mystery of what our Father is going to do next. He is not beholden to the past. Though we were comfortable and though we believe with all our hearts that we could return to that wonderful place of comfort, that's not His way. He is a God, He is a Father whom you can trust. I hear the <laughs> the weighty words of our friend Isaiah echoing down through the ages. Right? He thunders in a quiet voice. Since ancient times, no one has perceived. No ear has heard, no eye has seen. Seen what, Isaiah? Any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who I'll give you a clue. I'm waiting. Who acts on behalf of those who wait. Who wait in uncertainty. Who wait in disappointment. Who wait with a desire for wrongs to be righted. Who wait with a desire that their name be vindicated. Who wait with a desire that all fairness be multiplied. Wait. And wait. And wait. Because to take up arms against any human being leaves me outside of the confession that I love you, Father, with all my heart and soul and mind. And my spirituality will not be defined by loving others as I love myself. Let me wrap this morning here. First Peter chapter 2. Peter who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give Peter the benefit of the doubt that he knows a thing or two. Right? I want to hear what he has to say, and I, I bend my ear toward him. And he, and he asks the question, I think Troy raised this last week, but if you suffer for doing good, 
and you endure it, that's commendable. Did you hear that? If you suffer for doing good, that's commendable. To this you were called. I feel like there's a bait and switch going on here, God. I was uh, I was called to a life everlasting and salvation with you forever and the fulfillment of my reasonably good dreams. What? To this I was called? To this you were called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Do you remember what I said at the outset? Faith as a way of life and not simply a way to believe. I have yet to hear the person who identifies as a Christ follower say, it is wrong to put your trust in God and to love him with all your heart and soul and mind. Have you ever heard anybody say that in the community of faith? I've said it with my life. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, faith as a way of life and not simply a way to believe and things to affirm and doctrines to uphold and dogmas to say we should believe. Faith as a way of life. Peter goes on. He goes like, unlike you, Bruce, I'm not going to point the finger at you because I don't know you that well, but I, I can say assuredly for myself, unlike you, Bruce, he committed no sin. There, there was no deceit found in his mouth. What do you mean, Peter? Well, let me give you an example, man. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it before. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Faith as a way of life and not simply faith as a way to believe. When he suffered, he made no threats. Can you hear Peter? I'd, I'd never seen anything like this in my whole life. I mean, he talked about it. He called us to this. This is what he said we're to be about. But man, when push came to shove, he actually did it. To this you were called, he says. Instead of retaliating, instead of making threats, he simply entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Let go of your agenda. If you can find a supernatural empowerment 
to say yes to God in a circumstance that's troubling you right now. It may be your marriage. It may be with another human being in your family. It may be with a child or a grown child. It may be with your church family. If you can find the supernatural empowerment to express the fear that's driving that agenda, then lay it down. I appeal to you In the name of Jesus, lay it down. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Faith as a way of life, not simply a way to believe. Faith Church, I want you to hear this last sentence from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Not as a piece of Scripture that is embedded in a document that's 2,000 years old. I want you to hear it prophetically spoken over you this morning and your household and your hope and your calling Peter concludes, for you were like sheep going astray. Over the last couple of years, there's been a pounding on this body. There's been massive confusion that's descended upon you. There's been deep hurt. There's been accusation. There's been slander. There's been attacks. There's people who believe that if we can only assure an institutional answer to this problem, everything will be all right. And all of that breeds so much pain. God did not make us for that. Faith Church, you were like sheep going astray, but now, Faith Church, you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. And I stand with you and I believe with you, not for certainty about what it will look like in coming months and years, but with certainty that everything my Father does is good. He doesn't need our agendas He leaves us alone with our agendas until we come to a place of surrender. Will you receive that word? You are returning to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. In Jesus' name, There is no other life. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your understanding way with me. I'm just so puzzled. I'm just so puzzled at the way you work and believing for most of my life that it was about intellectual management of things, of competence. and, And then you showed me that there is is nothing when you're not at the middle of it. And in severe terms, man, you just upset the apple cart like you have upset the apple cart here. But it's not severity out of meanness, it's severity out of kindness, 
out of too much love, too much mercy, too much goodness. Oh, Father, in our personal lives and in our homes and in our church families, may we lay hold of the supernatural grace, the confounding mystery of what happens when we get ourselves out of the way and we entrust the work of life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.